Hoosier United Methodist Podcast, episode 006, with Reverend Frank Beard. There's nowhere in the gospel is the world commanded to go to church, but the church is commanded to go to the world. Hi, this is Todd Alcow, lead pastor at the Calvary United Methodist Church in Brownsburg, author of 30 books, including the upcoming title, The Other Jesus, and writer of the Body, Mind, and Spirit column in the Hoosier United Methodist Together magazine. You are listening to the Hoosier United Methodist podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, telling stories of Hoosier United Methodist churches and leaders making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. with Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that a strong connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to achieving the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The Hoosier United Methodist Podcast will help you and your church connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from successful pastors and people making a difference in United Methodist Churches in Indiana. And now, here's Brad. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast. My name is Dr. Brad Miller, and on a regular basis, we bring you a broadcast where we deal with the question in the Indiana Conference of the United Methodist Church of if our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, just how are we doing with that question? How are we doing with that in our local churches, in our annual conference, and indeed as the church extended into our communities? So we talk with some of the pastors and leaders and and learn about the churches in our conference and make a connection with that. And today we are pleased to have Reverend Frank Beard with us. He's the senior pastor at the Castleton United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. And today he speaks a little bit about about Castleton Church and the mission and ministry that goes on in that congregation. He really speaks powerfully to his passion for the church. Moreover, Frank is a delegate to jurisdictional and general conference in 2016, and he speaks a little bit in this interview about uh, about the issues facing the church, and particularly here in Indiana, where we will be electing a new bishop next year. And he talks a little bit about some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that faces moving forward. He also tells us a little bit about a great fishing trip that he took uh, with his wife, and so we'll look forward to hearing about that. A little bit later on in the podcast, we'll have our Methodist Moment with Reverend Andy Kinsey from Grace United Methodist Church in Franklin. Let's get to the interviews. Privilege today to have uh, Pastor Frank Beard of the Castleton United Methodist Church with us to share with us a little bit. Frank, welcome. Welcome to the podcast this afternoon on the Who's Your United Methodist podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me to come and do a little bit of sharing. Wonderful, wonderful. It's just great to have you with us, uh, Frank. And uh, you are been pastor at Castleton for a few years now. Before that, served on the cabinet of uh, in our conference. And you've been at Castleton since... I just started my fourth year, uh, July 1, after doing a stint of eight years on the cabinet. Uh, most district superintendents do up to six and 
the maximum amount is eight, and the bishop, uh, for some reason, uh, asked me to serve the full eight, and sure. I was able to do that. And you've had that that privilege of doing that now at Castleton Church in Indianapolis area. Uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry at Castleton. How's it going, Eric? Tell us something. What's God doing at Castleton these days? God's doing a lot of good work uh, at Castleton. First of all, uh, we have some very good people there, uh, inherited a fairly good situation. Uh, we had some initial financial challenges uh, when I got there. You know, you don't learn all the good stuff, even though I was coming off the cabinet. There's always have. a surprise or two. It a new was appointment. a surprise. Uh, the church was $11.4 million in debt. Wow. And I uh, was not aware of that when I said yes. But God's done surprise, an amazing huh? thing. Yeah. And uh, we've been able to turn that around uh, to do some refinancing. And uh, the church is going really, really well. I uh, inherited uh, some pretty good people on staff. And uh, we brought on some other folks. And, and we're headed in the right direction. Cool. Now, one of the... One aspect of going in the right direction, we've said in our conference that our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And you've mentioned about the financial turnaround in the church. Uh, how about some turnaround lives, some mm-hmm. turnaround situations where families or people or situations have been restored or turned around in some way or another? Do you have any kind of a good news story from us from Calvary? I do. We have some folks. In fact, I've got a young lady. I just got an email from her uh, last evening, and she was sharing her excitement and the excitement of inviting her family to come to church on September 20th for her baptism. Uh, she's being baptized. She's a young, under-30s uh, person, wow. uh, has uh, rededicated her life to Christ or made a faith commitment to Christ and decided that she wanted to be baptized. And she's so excited. She's invited her entire family uh, to come to church uh, for her baptism service. So that's where each one invites one or impacts another one. When Mm -hmm. you impact that one person, that one young woman, and she's impacted the rest of her family, you never know where that's going to go. That's right. And to have that kind of enthusiasm, you know, about having a relationship with Christ is just contagious. I mean, you can't help but get excited uh, for this young lady, and it it spills over to others. And we've had not only her, but we've had uh, several uh, people make uh, first-time commitments to Christ, and it's just uh, brings a whole new spirit to the church. And you're talking about adults now making commitments? I'm talking about adults. We've had adults, and we've had adults and we've had uh, children and youth as well. Uh, our camping program, uh, which when I went there, they had just had the first year of being involved in uh, elementary camp and they had like two kids that went okay. and uh, those kids had a very positive experience, came back and shared with the rest and of course I've, I've had a history with church camp all the way back to 1968 as a camper and mm-hmm. I've been very pro-camp so we've, we'd, uh, my third year there we took 54 high schoolers to well, that it, thing, which used to be the, the former institute. And let's get a perspective on that. If you only had two uh, two young people going to camp, and I don't know exactly what the attendance of your church is, but several hundred attend there, you, mm-hmm. you should be doing better than that, of course. That's and, correct. And then, so you had over 50 go here this past summer, and mm-hmm. yay God for that. So that's where... Yay God. And, and that's what it is. It's, it's truly something that God has done. You know, uh, I told the leadership of the church, I don't come riding in on a white horse. You had some great things happening before I came. You'll have some great things happening when I leave. The thing is, I want to be faithful to Christ, and I want to help do whatever it is that God allows us to do together. And we've seen some growth. We've seen some changed lives, and uh, we're excited about what God's doing. Well, being faithful means being true to our call. 
And mm-hmm. uh, tell me just a little bit about your call to ministry and how that got you where you're at today. My uh, call to the ministry is is pretty simple. Uh, I had a Methodist lay person come across the street. My twin brother and I were uh, little boys and we were terrorizing the downtown neighborhood. And I had a guy come across the street from a little Methodist church called Grace United Methodist over on Division Street in Elkhart. And he asked me the the dumbest question anybody's ever asked me to date. Would I like some free cookies and Kool-Aid? All right. <laughs> and I went across the street <laughs> to the Methodist church and had free cookies and Kool-Aid. We had missed vacation Bible school that day, but they had tons of Kool-Aid and cookies. And he invited us to come and partake and we did and while we were eating cookies and Kool-Aid he stealthily got our information promised to pick us up the next day in fact he gave us a ride home that day and got permission from my grandmother who was watching us to pick us up for vacation Bible school and as they say the rest is history at the end of that week um, asked us if we wanted to go to church camp we didn't have the money to go to church camp he said no problem we've got United Methodist men and United Methodist women and they provided scholarship for me and my brother to go to church camp we went to Island Camp in 1968 at Epworth Forest out on the island. Hmm. And uh, I gave my heart to Christ on a Wednesday night around the campfire. And I've never been... uh never been regretful. Well, that sounds like it's also a lesson to all of us that we should never discount those people put together those Kool-Aid and cookies and do all that kind of right. thing, shouldn't we? Even the smallest things can lead to great... Yeah, I, I often have, have joked about, uh, you know, some somebody putting in their last $10 because they were pressured to provide scholarships for camp, and you never know how God's going to honor that seed. And look at, look at now, this person, that investment, whatever it was, has paid great dividends and will continue to pay dividends. I mean, not only did it affect my life, but then because I was subsequently called into the ministry, all the ripple effect goes back to that person's generous gift of whether it was the cookies, the Kool-Aid, or the money that provided the scholarship. Well, you're witnessing here about uh, things like vacation, Bible school, and youth ministry, and camping ministries, and lay leadership, and all these things mm-hmm. are important then. They're still important now, aren't they? Yes, they're they still are. important now. They are. What do you think are some of the really important elements right now in your local church, maybe in, in the church overall, in terms of really impacting our communities for Jesus Christ? Well, I think the, the biggest thing that's happening right now at, at Castleton. And not only at Castleton, but in other churches, is that we're learning that we have to get out from behind the stained glass windows and the walls of the church. And we've got to go into community and build relationships. And we have to go and ask this question, what can we do to serve you? What are your needs? Not presume that we know what the needs are, but to go and just ask folks. And there's there's a ton of folks in the community. Within a six-mile radius of my church, there's 180,000 people. Mm-hmm. And if the statistics are correct, and I have no reason to doubt them, 65 to 70% or greater of, the, of those folks are unchurched. And just think, if we got even 1% of that number... Mm-hmm to be a part of your church or or other United Methodist churches in any of our communities, even if we got 1% of the unchurched people to be that, and and we should be doing at least that well, don't you think? Yes, we should be. You know, just numbers alone. And people are hungry for good news, and that's what the gospel is. It's good news about someone who can change your life and and help you have a personal uh, transformation. I also believe that the good news will not only transform individual lives, but will also transform communities. 
<laughs> and if there was ever a city with communities that needed transformation, it's Indianapolis. I mean, every week we're hearing stories of people that are, are maiming or murdering or hurting someone else. And only the gospel can go in and, and bridge that hatred and, that, and, and replace that with love and transform people's lives. So we're very serious about it. We, in fact, we use the, uh, the word go. We have go weekends in our church, and now we're having the entire month of October as a go month. And we get involved in a multitude of ministries that get us out of the building and into people's lives. And we build relationships with the hope of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, of course, the, the Great Commission says go and make disciples. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say stay in the building and make That's disciples, right. does it? So You know, there's a, there's a quote that I use sometimes. It says, nowhere in the gospel is the world commanded to go to church, mm-hmm. but the church is commanded to go to the world. Well, and we certainly know that the situation in our world, as you mentioned, the majority of people aren't going to anybody's church. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we kind of have to change the game plan on our end, I believe, and to make, you know, as you say, to really strategize about how we can get into our communities. Mm-hmm. And sound like some cool things are happening that way at Council Dunn. There are some good things that are happening. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. We're excited about those. Now, early, uh, in May of 2015, um, at the Annual, uh, the annual conference sessions of the Indiana Annual Conference. Uh, you were uh, elected as one of the delegates from mm-hmm. our annual conference to jurisdictional conference and to general conference. That must have been quite a quite a humbling privilege for you. Yes, it was very humbling and, and quite an honor uh, to be selected by my uh, colleagues, uh, first of all, uh, as a delegate, because the clergy ver- vote on clergy, laity vote right. on laity, and uh, my clergy uh, colleagues elected me. I was the first overall elected delegate, and uh, very thankful for that honor. When as as being the first elected delegate, that also means that you're leading our clergy, or leading our delegation to to jurisdictional and general conference. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that the case? I'm I'm the clergy, um, one of the clergy leaders of the delegation. I'm the head of the delegation, uh, along with uh, our lay leader Doris Clark, mm-hmm. um, Tony Allstadt, and uh, Allison Kurtz. Those are the four that make up what we call the servant leadership team for the delegation. What What do you see as your responsibility, not only as leading the delegation, but as a delegate to jurisdictional and to general conference from Indiana? What are you taking with you to the to these conferences? How are you going to represent us? What kind of a uh, what kind of a questions do you bear in mind as you take them to these okay. events? The, I'll start with the general conference. The first thing we we do is we we get the delegates prepared for what General Conference is. And General Conference is the only voice that speaks officially for the United Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. And so to get them ready for that and to know that this is a place where uh, legislative matters are handled, where decisions are made regarding our our, uh, two major books, the Book of uh, Discipline and the Book of Resolutions. So petitions and legislative matters come before that body and to get them prepared to know the issues and then to, to know the process, to know what's going to happen and be prepared to make good decisions. Uh, that's, that's a part of my job as the head of the delegation. And then in terms of jurisdictional conference, jurisdictional conference only has two uh, main uh, foci, focus. Uh, 
And those focused are to, number one, elect bishops, and number two, to assign bishops. And as you know, in Indiana, uh, our bishop, Bishop Mike Coiner, has served faithfully and is entering his 12th, 12th year. And not only entering his 12th year, but he is entering into a retirement status. And so Indiana really needs to pay attention to what's going on at jurisdiction because we also have to elect uh, new bishops, and then we have to seek a bishop to be appointed to the Indiana area. Well, I do want to touch on both these areas both jurisdictional and what's going on there with Mm -hmm. bishops and also some of the issues facing General Conference with you. But let's just take jurisdictional first in terms of you just mentioned about the election and assignment of of bishops. And we've had 12 years with Bishop Coiner and a lot of transition has happened during that time. A lot of great things, some challenging things have happened, especially in the unification of the North and South Conferences into the Indiana Conference, among other things. A lot of dramatic changes have happened, and that's... uh, it's an incredible, some incredible things that have happened during that time under Bishop Pointer's leadership, and yet we are at a point of transition. Mm-hmm. And so you are leading the team that's going to be representing our conference, not only the election of bishops but the assignment of, of bishops representing our interest. What do you believe are our interest in terms of a new bishop following mm-hmm. up Bishop Pointer? What are the uh, what are the kind of the um, position description, if you will, or what are what are what are we taking to the folks there, saying what what do we need mm-hmm. as a bishop moving forward? Well, right now we have a team of people that are putting together a profile. Uh, it starts with the area episcopacy committee, and there are several other groups that are working together. We have a transition team that the bishop has named, and we're working together on a profile of exactly what it is that Indiana needs. So I can't speak with a lot of specificity, although I have served on the Episcopal Committee, and I know of, uh, you know, kind of a broad stroke, this is the type of bishop that we need uh, for Indiana. Well, give us a little bit of that, or maybe uh, even some of your personal take on that. What yeah, is- I, I think, first of all, we need, we need someone who can continue, uh, first of all, to be a, a strong spiritual leader. Yes. Uh, bishop Mike has been that for us. Uh, he's, he's a fair-minded leader. He's Christ-sensitive, spirit-filled, and we need someone who can continue uh, in that pathway. Um, someone that doesn't come with their own agenda, but will listen to the area needs and then formulate a plan uh, with the help of the Lord, of course, and uh, the council of, of, the, of those who make up the Indiana area leadership and say, this is the direction we sense God leading us in. Let's go take the hill together. So in that aspect, we want someone to carry on, continue mm-hmm. on. What is there anything that you think needs, just in your opinion, or just take that needs to take the next step mm-hmm. beyond where we've gone in the last twelve years with Bishop Coiner? Any, I think the bishop has, that takes us further. The bishop has planted some seeds for developing um, leaders, not just young leaders, but developing leaders of all uh, ages, uh, and then and then developing new leaders. Uh, so that would be both uh, emerging leaders from a younger age demographic, as well as uh, cultivating those who have been in ministry for a while, but maybe need some new air in the tires. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, it sounds like 
you got a big job ahead of you at the jurisdictional conference, and certainly the folks here in Indiana are going to be praying for you and the whole delegation because this is going to be a. No matter what happens, we're going to have a major transition next year. It will year. be a major transition for Indiana, and I I covet the prayers of of everyone, not only for me but for all of my uh, delegation, and we look forward to to doing some good work and having a good report. You know, when we when we came back from the. Um, from the uh, meeting in Tampa, the general conference of, of 2012, uh, I think some of us came back with our tails tucked between our legs because we felt like we left we let the church down. We didn't accomplish much, uh, but now we're we're eager to go, and I think we've got uh, some new uh, energy, some new enthusiasm, and we look forward to having a great general conference in 2016. Well. Why don't you just mention the names of the other delegates to General Conference so the listeners can be praying for those folks and uh, we'll, before we get into some of the details of General Conference. Wow. Now, see, there's there's uh, between the general sorry, the between the general <laughs> conference delegates and the jurisdictional delegates, we have 32 people. Okay. I so, apologize. Uh, I will direct your attention to the um, uh, Hoosier United Methodist News. And there's a there were not only uh, a listing of the delegates, but there's pictures of the delegates as well. So you could cut that out, go and go back in the archives, cut that out, and paste it in a place, and, and be able to not only pray for the names, but the pictures are there as well. Oh, good to know. We're we'll certainly put that in our show notes that people can link to here on the podcast show notes as mm-hmm. well on our on our uh, website HoosierUnitedMethodist.com. Tell us about General Conference now. General Conference will be in Portland, Oregon, uh, May of 2016, mm-hmm. and. And there's just a lot of conversation, a lot of talk in the church, uh, uh, online and other places about what's going to happen in general conference. Uh, what do you see are some of the issues facing the church as a whole and certainly how they impact Indiana that are going to be uh, on the table at general conference? Okay. General conference uh, t- uh, will happen May 10th through the 20th. It's a 10-day uh, period where the it's a global gathering. We are now a worldwide church, so you literally will have people from all over the world uh, sending delegates, both lay and clergy. There's an equal amount uh, that will come to transact the uh, the business of the church. Uh, there are a lot of issues. Um, you know, uh, sometimes we have a few hot-button issues that seem to take center stage uh, and, and sometimes tend to, and I don't mean this in any bad manner, but tend to take away from some of the other things that are just as important. Of course. Uh, and, you know, without uh, uh, skirting the issue, we're dealing with issues of human sexuality. That's going to be at the forefront of general sure. conference. Um, but that's not the only issues. Those aren't the only issues. We, we're dealing with what does it mean to be a global church? Mm-hmm. So there'll be questions about whether or not we need a book of discipline that will reflect uh, the fact that we're a global church and maybe have book a book of discipline that is regionalized. Hmm. Uh, that's one of the that's one of the things. For instance, there might be a North American book of discipline and a continent of Africa book of discipline. Is that kind of that's, what we're going? That's on? kind of the direction that some of the legislation is leading to. And uh, yes, okay. uh, we would have you know the the historical uh, pieces would would be pretty much the same, but then there will be some regionalized uh, areas okay. for the book of discipline. Interesting. So. Interesting. 
not sure where we'll lead with that, but that's uh, that's one of the things that's on the table. Uh, another thing that's going to happen with the um, with the uh, general conference, and you know, there are all sorts. There's there's 13 legislative groups, legislative committees, and each one has uh, has a particular area of emphasis. Um, one area has to do with uh, episcopacy. Uh, there's questions about do we want to in the United States begin to look at term episcopacy for our leaders okay. that is having a prescribed amount of years that a bishop would serve right now in the US bishops once elected are serve you're a bishop for life and you serve um, for as long as you uh, up to the age of 70 72 for clergy um, that are non-bishops and, and 70 for bishops okay. so we're looking at uh, some of the legislation that I've seen is calling for uh, term episcopacy. I don't know if that's right. ever going to happen, but it's one of the one of the things that I think would have an it's impact on the church. Interesting. It sounds like it's going to be on the table for consideration. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but then moving away from electing bishops in a jurisdiction and electing them at general conference since bishops will be bishops when you're elected you're not only a bishop of your jurisdiction but you're a bishop of the whole church so what would that look like if if general conference uh, became the place where bishops were elected and then they were assigned across the the, the church worldwide globally yeah. I know I've under, heard in uh, conversations I've had in the past regarding jurisdictional conference that there may be a matter of stewardship here are we you know since we have such a defined purpose of jurisdiction conferences to elect and assign bishops mm-hmm. that might be a better use of resources and so on if we did it at general conference or something right. like that. So I know that's at least some conversation. There. And there are so, arguments yeah. that could go both ways and a lot of it gets down to who who has the authority uh, to appoint and to assign and then also to um, uh, evaluate and assess um, mm-hmm. whether or not bishops are being productive and, and uh, doing what they've been elected to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, accountability, I guess, would be the, the word to sum that up. Well, I think it's going to be very interesting at General Conference to see what tone comes out. What mm-hmm. I mean by that is I think the tone of the 2012 General Conference was kind of... Uh, Kind of a little bit down. Well, there was a tone of mistrust. Mistrust. I mean, there was a a lot of mistrust and a lot of uh, fear. Right. Uh, fear and failure to trust one another. Sure. And so I am hopeful and prayerful that there will be uh, a new tone come out mm-hmm. of this one. And that's what I want to ask you now, given that there's lots of challenges to Christianity and the local church setting and certainly in annual conferences and even the general conference is a indicative of that. But I'd like to ask you, Frank, what do you see as signs of hope in the church? What do you see as the good news happening in the church mm-hmm. right now? Let me give you let me give you one thing that sometimes it gets so overshadowed, and I'm so proud uh, to be United Methodist. Um, eight years ago, we were looking at every every thirty every minute, thirty children would die from malaria. Mm. In an eight year period, we've cut that in over half. So that less than 15 children are now dying in that same time period eight years later. 
the church has come together through the Nothing But Nets campaign, which has been a partnership with the Gates Foundation, the WNBA, and the NBA, and I think there's a couple other partners in that. But the Methodist Church has been the principal driver of that. Uh, we have literally impacted and changed people's lives um, with something simple as a mosquito net. Sure. Just think of what we could do as we continue to work together. Uh, that's just one highlight, but sometimes that gets overshadowed. Uh, that's just one. The, the other thing, uh, UMCOR, United Methodist Committee on Relief, anywhere in the world, whenever there is a natural disaster, mm-hmm. the first people on site, even before the Red Cross shows up, is UMCOR. That's the United Methodist Church working at its best, working together, pooling our resources and doing the work of the kingdom of God uh, to make a difference in people's lives. That kind of thing I get excited about. Absolutely. And when we talk about making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, transformation includes things mm-hmm. like eliminating malaria, doesn't it? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. People cannot hear the good news of the gospel uh, as clearly when they're in pain and in physical discomfort and they don't have food, they don't have clean water. And so those kind of tangible things opens the door for the good news to be heard. Cool. Now, Frank, let's talk about transformation in you a little bit. I understand you're a big-time fisherman, and you did well recently. Tell us about your fishing trip. I did well, but I need to give props to my wife who outfished me. Uh, we went on vacation, went to Northwest Ontario yeah. on a fly-in fishing trip. So All the right. whole thing is they, you have a float plane, they drop you off, and they pick you up a week later. Uh, there's no way to so get in, out there no way on to your get out. Own, huh? On your own. Wow. And so just the two of us, we were celebrating uh, 34 years of marriage, and uh, my wife outfished me every single day. She caught an 8-pound, 28-inch uh, walleye, and uh, I and she put the pictures on Facebook the next... Uh, you're not going to live that down soon, I've not been able to live it down. It so. sounds like that's one of the things you have fun doing. I enjoy fishing, and, and uh, it's a good way to relax, and I've learned, uh, you know, you learn a lot about fishing. Cool. I, I personally think there was a reason why Jesus' first disciples were fishermen. Ah, absolutely. And uh, there's Folks. characteristics in fishermen that, you know, they don't give up too easy. They're, they're hard workers. They they pray. I mean, you think about how hard you pray when, Lord, give me a bite. <laughs> me. And then, Lord, don't let it get off. Don't let it get there off. You so go. There you, you go. You learn how to pray. Well, what's what's something fun that, mo- that you like to do or some fun fact about you that most people don't know about you? I am a nut about going to garage sales. Really? Okay. I will get up early on a Friday morning. Friday's my day off. And I will scour the papers or the ads beforehand. And I will select place to go and and I I go garage selling. And one of the things that I get from garage sales, not for me, but for my wife, she collects buttons, like buttons like you sew on a shirt or a pair of pants or something. And so whenever she's in trouble, whenever I'm in trouble, I buy her buttons. She's got thousands of buttons. Wow. And I pick up a lot of those buttons at garage sales. How about that? Well, that's cool. Well, Frank, one more thing. Just if if we're talking now and we have a lot of United Methodist clergy and, and lay leadership in Indiana listening to us right now. What's one word you want to give to those folks today? I, if, if there was one message I, I could give, and I, I would say be passionate about your love for Jesus and don't be ashamed 
uh, don't be ashamed of Christ. You know, that was the message of the Apostle Paul wherever he went. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation and to everyone who believes. I mean, so don't be ashamed of Jesus. We have no reason. We, we don't have to take a back seat to anybody, to any other group. Just lift up Jesus. Because he said, if I am lifted up, I will draw men and women, boys and girls. He said, I will draw all men unto me. So lift up Jesus. Lift up Jesus. That's a great place for us to close. And so thank you for being with us. Our, our guest today on the Who's United Methodist has been Pastor Frank Beard from the Castleton United Methodist Church and a delegate to Jurisdictional and to General Conference. I know I got a lot out of that conversation with Reverend Frank Beard. I'm sure that you did as well. You certainly hear his passion for the church. I might uh, add that since we recorded this interview, Frank was selected to be the clergy head of the delegation to jurisdictional and general conference and was nominated by our Indiana conference for the episcopacy. And so we'll wish him well in see where God leads him and the possibility of becoming a bishop in the United Methodist Church. So we'll wish him well in that. We'll put some information about how to contact him in our show notes on our on our uh, website, which is www.hoosierunitedmethodist.com. And you can also connect up with us at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Hoosier United Methodist. Now, our Methodist Moment with Reverend Andy Kinsey. I think it was Bishop Rains who said that if a sermon was worth preaching once, it was probably worth preaching twice. I share that because this is the 250th anniversary of John Wesley's famous sermon, The Scripture Way of Salvation. And if there is a sermon that has captured the imagination of Methodists and Christians since that time, it would be this particular sermon, one of Wesley's most famous sermons that he preached on several occasions, and that was at the heart of the Methodist revival, where he outlines uh, what God is doing and how we may understand the life of grace, uh, the life of discipleship where he talks about prevenient grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace, leading us into this dynamic relationship with God. And I think that um, if anyone was to start to study John Wesley and uh, grapple with what he's trying to say, he or she would want to start with this uh, great sermon, uh, The Scripture Way of Salvation, outlining what it means to be a Methodist, and how we may understand God's grace working in our lives. That'll about wrap things up for this edition of the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. We appreciate you listening. If you'd like to support us, we really invite you to go to iTunes, find us there, by going to Hoosier United Methodist Podcast and rate, subscribe first, then rate and review the podcast. It really helps other people find the podcast. Then we invite you to share the good news with other folks about the opportunities to learn about 
the United Methodist Church in Indiana through this broadcast about the people and about the churches and about the missions and ministries of the church. You can always connect up with me directly at Hoosier United Methodist at Gmail as well. Until next time, this is Reverend Brad Miller saying, remember to continue to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Thank you for listening to the Hoosier United Methodist podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. We challenge you to be an active listener by subscribing and becoming a vital member of the Hoosier United Methodist podcast community. Visit us on the web at HoosierUnitedMethodist.com and chat with other members at Facebook.com slash Hoosier United Methodist. Until next time, continue to make disciples and transform the world.